Hello, hello. It is Thursday, April 20th, and our coverage of the Lori Vallow trial continues. Our legal correspondent, Amy, is attending the trial every day so that she can report on it for us, as you already know. And Amy is running out to her car to give us the update from this morning up until the lunch break today. Amy, take it from here. Hey, all. This is your lunchtime update from trial day eight. Today is Thursday, April 20th. Court convened at 8.51 a.m. Lori was wearing her glasses as usual. She had on a black top with like a periwinkle shirt underneath. I could see her periwinkle cuffs. I don't mean like cuffs. I mean like periwinkle shirt (laughs) and the cuffs showing through the black like blazer. Blake for the state calls Detective Nathan Moffitt. If we remember last week from the Chandler Police Department, Detective Duncan, we heard from him. Nathan Moffat was the lead case agent before Duncan had taken over. Moffat states that he's had 21 years police experience with the Chandler Police Department. He is now a sergeant slash detective. On July 11th of 2019, Detective Moffat responded to the shooting where Charles had been shot. The defense makes his the continued objection that he makes every time anything is coming from Arizona, saying that it has nothing to do with Idaho. He has a standing, uh, I think he called it a continued objection or a standing objection. And Boyce, again, overrules that objection. They do this every time. Detective Moffat continues. He described that Alex had made the 911 call and Moffat responded to the call. There were 12 other officers already on the scene. When Moffat arrived, he was assigned the case agent on the scene. Moffat stated he was briefed on what happened and he did a walkthrough on the scene and then he went back to the station. While back at the station, they interviewed Alex. Detective Moffat described that Alex stated that Lori and Charles were in an argument. Lori had came into the room and Alex went out to intervene with the argument. He said that it wasn't a physical argument. It was just a verbal argument. He stated that Lori made her way into the kitchen. And at that point, Tylee came out of her bedroom with a bat and was trying to protect her mom. He stated that at some point, Tylee sort of like pointed the bat directly at Charles and that Charles took the bat away from her. Alex stated that Charles struck him with the bat. Detective Moffat said that he did not feel that the injury was something that was caused by being struck by a bat. Alex stated that after he was hit with the bat, he went into his bedroom to get his gun. Charles was still in the house, and when he came back out, Alex said to Charles, what are you going to do about it? And at that time, Alex shot him. When he was asked, he wasn't sure how many times he'd shot him, but he said he thought he shot him at least twice. At that time, Alex said he went into the kitchen, washed his hands in the kitchen sink, returned his gun to his bedroom, and then called 911. When asked if he performed life-saving measures, Alex told the detectives that yes, he did in fact perform CPR. At some point during the interview, Detective Moffat had gone outside and was talking to another detective. That detective was questioning Lori and Tylee at the same time. He stated that Lori had told them that Alex was there to protect her. 
when Detective Moffat went back in to talk to Alex and asked him if he felt like he was there to protect Lori, he denied that. He said he adamantly denied that, that he was not there to protect Lori. Blake then asks Detective Moffat about the scene where Charles was found. Detective Moffat states that there were two gunshot wounds, and he mentions that there were bullet strikes in the baseboard and one under Charles's body. Detective Moffat stated that the mark that was caused on the floor from the bullet that had entered his body was what they would have called a short gunshot wound, and that Charles Vallow was likely flat on the floor when that shot was fired. And that definitely didn't match the story that Alex had told detectives. Detective Moffat also noted that he was the one that transported Lori and Tylee and Alex back to the residence after the shooting. He said it was a bizarre and awkward situation. He stated that Lori and Alex were sitting next to each other. And he noted that the conversations between the two of them were like lighthearted. Detective Moffat then talked about Charles' life insurance that they did look into if he had life insurance and that Charles did in fact have a million dollar policy, that Lori had been the beneficiary of that insurance policy at one time, but that it had recently been changed to Kay Woodcock. Moffitt stated that on July 17th of 2019, he contacted the insurance company and learned that Lori had made a claim on that insurance policy, but he wasn't sure at the time if the claim was going to be paid out to her. Once the state finished with that witness, the defense gave his standing objection that he's not going to cross the witness because they're objecting to the witness altogether. So we move on to the next state's witness, which is Sydney Shank of Arizona. Sydney used to live in Rexburg. She was going to BYU in 2019, and she was what she called Lori's nanny. When I think of nanny, I think of a long-term thing. She actually only watched JJ once, but we'll get into that. Sydney stated that she met with Lori on September 18th for her interview that Lori had reached out to her from an ad that she'd posted looking for employment. She said when she went to Lori's house, Lori hugged her and introduced her to JJ and was telling her that they had recently moved from Arizona and that she was recently widowed that her husband had recently died of a heart attack and that JJ was having a really hard time understanding what had happened. Sydney stated that on that day, she never witnessed a teenage daughter, but that Lori did mention that she had a daughter that was also attending college in Rexburg. She didn't necessarily name BYUI, but that she did tell her that Tylee may come over for dinner once in a while, but that Tylee didn't have time to take care of JJ anymore. And that's why Lori was looking to get some help. Sydney said that she watched JJ the very next day on September 19th because Lori had to go pick up someone from the airport. Sydney says that she watched JJ. He was playing outside. And then at some point she brought him in to feed him some dinner and then he went back outside to play. She ended up going to pick him up at his friend's house because he and his friend had some type of a disagreement. She said JJ, when she got him home, was very upset. He threw a chair and he ran upstairs. She stated that she was really hoping that he would calm down, but that he didn't. When Lori got home, he was still upset. Sydney said that she explained to Lori what had happened and Lori was able to get JJ calmed down. 
Lori paid her and Sydney left. Sydney said that she was under the impression that she would be watching JJ full time, but that a few days later, Sydney texted to see when she was going to babysit again. And Lori told her that JJ was with his grandparents and that Lori was in Hawaii. Sydney stated that she tried to get a hold of Lori about a month later, but Lori never responded to her. The state rests with that witness and Archibald does his cross. Archibald asks Sydney if she was under the impression that she was going to be a long-term person, a long-term nanny. She said that she was, that she thought she was going to come back, but that she didn't have a set schedule, that they never really talked about a schedule. Lori knew that she was at school and that her school schedule was pretty flexible and that she had told Lori that she would provide assistance to JJ when Lori needed it. After cross was done, there was no redirect of this witness and Sydney is excused from her subpoena. The next state witness is Dr. David Wilson. He is the principal of Kennedy Elementary School in Rexburg, Idaho. He stated that he was present when Lori registered JJ for school. That was on September 3rd of 2019, but that JJ was only there for just three weeks. So JJ only went to school there from September 3rd through September 24th. I say September 24th, but JJ wasn't actually at school the 24th. Dr. Wilson states that on the 24th, they received an email from Lori indicating that they were moving JJ. They were taking him away from Kennedy Elementary School, and they were sending him to Louisiana to be with his grandparents. Once Dr. Wilson got this message, this email, he called Lori to talk to her on the phone about it. He told her that he was sorry to see JJ go, that he told her they would be happy to forward the records to Louisiana. She said that he was going to be homeschooled because JJ had a cousin with similar special needs and that they were just going to homeschool them together so that she would not need him to forward any records anywhere. Dr. Wilson states that JJ was not in school September 23rd or 24th, that his last day physically at school was September 20th of 2019. During Archibald's cross, he asks Dr. Wilson if they have a special needs program for special needs children, and he says that they did, and that when Lori registered JJ, there was never any discussion that it was going to be such a short-term attendance. His understanding was that JJ was going to be enrolled for the long term, is what he said, and when she unenrolled him, he was surprised. There are no more questions for this witness. This witness is excused. And next, the state calls Wynn Hill. Hill is the Dean of Students at BYU-Idaho in Rexburg. Hill just talked about this, their student record system and that he was asked to do a search on January 28th of 2020 to see if there was ever a student by the name of Tylee Tylee Ryan, Tylee Cox, or Tylee Daybell, any variations of her or her birthday. And he stated that she was never enrolled, nor did she attend BYU-Idaho. Next, we take a break. When we get back from break, they take a sidebar. They state that there might be an issue with the next state's witness because of the exclusionary rules. The next witness that they called was David Warwick, who is married to Melanie Gibb. They have quite a long discussion outside of the presence of the jury. 
it appears that David Warwick has listened to 45 minutes of his wife's testimony from last week. He also ended up saying that he read an article that had nothing to do with this testimony or this trial right now, but it had to do with Zulima and Alex, like their wedding or something a while ago. But he definitely did watch a YouTube video, 45 minutes of Melanie Gibbs testimony that she gave last week. When the state asks him questions, he says that he he listened to the testimony, but that it's not going to affect anything he has to say. He was just trying to support his wife. He was worried about her. It wasn't going to affect anything. They actually live apart. He, She lives in Chandler, and he lives somewhere in Utah. Archibald is, of course, very upset about this. He states that he's violated the, you know, the court ruling and that he needs to be excluded as a witness. Smith asks the court to consider that there was no harm done by him listening to the testimony. Archibald is standing strong. He is saying that he wants the witness excluded. In the end of all of this back and forth, Boyce rules that the witness is going to be allowed to testify after all, and that the defense can, I believe in his closing arguments, state to the jury that Mr. Warwick did listen to 45 minutes of testimony. The state begins and Smith discusses with Warwick his relationship with Melanie Gibb. He states that they were married in 2021 and that he first met Lori in Arizona. Melanie had invited him to go to Lori's apartment with her to introduce David to Lori. David explained that he had previously met Chad over the phone, said that Chad had previously reached out to him, that he wanted to do a book with him, but that David wasn't interested. He didn't want to do a book with Chad because he didn't feel like it was right. He stated that on his weekend visit to Lori's apartment in Rexburg, that he was going there because there was a preparing a people conference and that he was going to be doing a podcast with Melanie and with Lori. This was the weekend of September 20th through September 23rd. He stated that he had done prior podcasts for preparing a people, but he had not done one with Lori and Melanie Gibb before. He was originally going to stay at a hotel in Idaho Falls, but Melanie told him that everybody was going to be at Lori's house, and so he was welcome to stay with her at Lori's house. He said when he got to Lori's apartment in Rexburg that Alex was there, Melanie was there, Lori was there, and JJ was there. He said the whole time that he was there that entire weekend, he never saw Tylee. He stated that he did ask about Tylee, and he was told by Lori that Tylee wanted to be independent and that she was attending college in Rexburg. He stated that many times over the weekend, he tried to engage with JJ, but JJ really kind of just did his own thing. He wasn't really engaging with David or with anyone. David said that he had several interactions with Chad over that weekend, that Chad was trying to teach him about his beliefs. He stated that he interacted with Chad a few times over that weekend, that Chad was trying to teach him about his beliefs, about the gathering of the 144,000, and about the casting out of demons out of people's bodies. He said Lori was also present for these conversations, but that Chad would lead the way on these teachings at that time. David said that he is a member of the Mormon church and that he didn't believe 
the teachings that Chad was saying. He indicated that he believed that the 144 gathering of people would happen through the doctrine and the prophet and not through Chad. At some point over that weekend, Lori and Chad wanted David and Melanie to meet them at this empty property lot. He stated that when he got there, they were all talking about this beautiful church and this beautiful building, but that he didn't see anything. He said, I didn't see a building. There wasn't anything there, but he was supposed to be there to witness this beautiful new church vision with the three of them. He also stated that during this trip, David was interested in purchasing 80 acres as an investment. It was on Sunday, though, and and if you know anything about the LDS church, there's no work on Sunday, and he was very adamant about that. He said that he drove by the property and he did get out to look. Chad showed up with a real estate agent and kind of wanted to talk business, and David said he's he was adamantly not going to talk business on a Sunday. He stated that he wasn't even sure why Chad showed up. It was an investment that he was looking at himself. He said that during the weekend that Chad and Lori were lovey with each other and that David knew that Chad was still married to Tammy. At some point, David asked Chad about his wife, asked how Tammy was as his wife, and Chad told him that Tammy's time was coming up and that Chad and Lori were going to be going on their calling of gathering of the 144,000 together and that they would be married. David stated that they did end up doing the podcast, he and Lori and Melanie, on that Sunday. He said that JJ was not there that night, that Lori had told him Alex was babysitting him in Alex's apartment so that they would not be interrupted. He stated that he did see JJ around 1030 that night. He said that Alex carried JJ in and JJ's head was on Alex's shoulder. He said that he remembers JJ was wearing camo shorts and a t-shirt and that Alex took him upstairs to put JJ to bed. If you'll remember from Melanie's testimony, David had a nightmare that night. They were sleeping in JJ's room. JJ was supposedly sleeping in with Lori. When David had this nightmare, he explained that Melanie woke him up because he was talking in his sleep. She went to go find Lori because she wanted Chad to give David a blessing because of the nightmare that he had had. The next morning, David stated that he woke up and did not see JJ. He did ask where JJ was, and Lori told him that JJ had an episode and that he was climbing on the cabinets, he was jumping on the refrigerator, and that she couldn't control him, so that Alex had came to get him. David stated that he didn't see any evidence of any disturbance, like there was no scuff marks on the refrigerator or the cabinets or anything like if JJ was doing what Lori had described, he would have assumed that there would have been some evidence of that, and he said there was none. At this time, the state has no further questions, and Archibald does his recross. Archibald goes over how he met this group of people, meaning like Lori and Chad, and some general preparing of people questions. He describes that the Preparing of People podcast was mainly geared towards the members of the LDS Church that the Preparing of People hosts conferences and invites speakers and vendors to come and talk about their doctrine. 
he mentions speaking at what he calls firesides and that he would during these firesides that he would speak about his visions of different things. Archibald asked him several questions about the visions that he spoke about. He asks him if he has had visions of secret communications in Washington, D.C., visions of England and Saudi Arabia, of evil entities, visions of Russia and China invading the U.S., visions of Russia and China attacking the U.S. and defeating us in three days. He asks him about visions of the U.S. being sacrificed for a one-world government. David answers yes to most of those that he has had visions. I think the only one that he said he didn't wasn't familiar with was the U.S. being sacrificed for a one-world government. Archibald then asks him if he could tell us the difference between a vision and a nightmare, how maybe one is different than the other, how maybe one is real and how one is not. David makes a statement that when you are seen into the future, that that is real and that his visions come from angels and that his nightmares are not real and that his nightmares come from an adversarial form of the dark, that there was no order to the darkness. When asked what Warwick thought about the 144,000, he stated that it would be an honor to be a part of the 144,000, but that he thinks the prophet of the Church of Latter-day Saint is the only authority that can select the 144,000. Archibald concludes his cross, and Smith comes back in for her redirect. She asks him again about his visions and his dreams, and basically points out that he knows the difference with like fantasy and reality, I guess, would be the best way to sum it up. She also asks him again to re-describe when Lori had told David that JJ was out of control and that Lori was, you know, making comments that he was climbing on the counters and climbing on the cabinets and climbing on top of the refrigerator. And again, that David didn't see any evidence of a disturbance in the kitchen. This witness is excused and released. And that was when we broke for lunch. It was at 11.30 and it is now 12.39. I am nine minutes late getting back in there. So I will see you all later. Bye.